0: Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss what has become one of Medicare's more daunting problems, that is, how to reform physician reimbursement. With me to discuss this topic is Dr. Robert Berenson. Welcome, Bob. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Before I introduce Dr. Berenson, some context. In 1997, the Congress reformed how it pays physicians under Medicare. The new formula was termed the sustainable growth rate. The impetus for the reform was to better control Medicare cost growth. Medicare payments to physicians now exceed $100 billion per year, largely because of the concern physicians would limit seeing Medicare patients if Medicare reimbursement rates were cut. Since 2002, the Congress has not enforced the sustainable growth rate. Consequently, despite the realization that the SGR is unalterably broken, the Congress has been unable or unwilling to amend the law. As a result, Medicare physicians are presently facing an estimated $138 billion cut come January 2014, should of course the Congress then actually enforce the 1997 law. With me to discuss the subject again is Dr. Robert Berenson. Dr. Berenson is currently a fellow at the Urban Institute, where his research work concerns healthcare policy, particularly Medicare. From ninety-eight to 2000, Dr. Berenson was in charge of the Medicare Payment Policy and private health plan contracting at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS. Previously, he served as an assistant director of the Carter White House domestic policy staff. Dr. Berenson became commissioner of the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, termed MedPAC, in 2009, and in ten became the MedPAC vice chair. Dr. Berenson is a board-certified internist for the last 12 years practicing in Washington, DC. He's a fellow of the American College of Physicians and the author of numerous research publications. Finally, he's a graduate of the Mount Sinai School of Medicine and on the faculty currently at the George Washington University Schools of Medicine and Public Health and the Fauqua School of Business at Duke University. So with that, let's begin. Dr. Berenson, so without getting too far into the weeds, why did the Congress change the Medicare physician reimbursement formula in 1997? And basically, how does the formula work?
1: Uh, well, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Let's go back to uh, at least look at the weeds, if not walk through them. Uh, physician fee schedule is subject to volume growth. In other words, you can control prices with the fees, but the concern is and was that, well, volume would just outpace any limits you can put on prices, and so you'd wind up spending a lot. So in fact, it was in 93 that uh, when the new resource-based relative value scale-based fee schedule came in, uh, uh, Congress uh, enacted a volume performance standard, which would essentially reduce the prices, the fees, when if volume exceeded a certain target. Um, by 97, in the world of uh, deficit reduction, you know, in those days uh, it was called the Balanced Budget Act of 1997, we actually had a bipartisan uh, commitment to try to get serious about budget debt, uh, deficits and debt, uh, you know, this, we're not living in unique times today, um, the Congress decided to adopt a policy that the predecessor to METPAC had actually recommended in 1990, which was to tie the update in fees to the growth of the economy. Uh, the notion being that the uh, we can only afford so much, so let's uh, uh, let's pay out only as much as we can afford. And so they put the sustainable growth rate as a modification of what had been in place, the volume, what's what was called the volume performance standard, to basically reduce the fees if the spending exceeded sort of the volume growth and the target for uh, the growth of the economy. And so that was the notion of uh, having a direct relationship between what fee updates would happen every year and how much the sustainable growth rate target permitted the fees to go up every year. So that was the genesis of the
0: sustainable growth rate. So literally to sustain the program by having it grow no faster than the economy. Thank you. Let's go on to my second question. So, since passage of the Sustainable Growth Rate in 1997, what's happened or how did we evolve to a situation where Congress routinely or chooses routinely to fix the docs or pass doc fixes, meaning they haven't obviously implemented the STO?
1: Well, one year they did in, in 2002, which a lot of people were surprised. The physicians actually got a 4.5% reduction in their fees because that's what the Sustainable Growth Rate mandated. For the first few years of the sustainable growth rate, in fact, uh, volume growth was pretty pretty low, and physicians got pretty generous updates. 2002 happened, then the uh, physician community sort of said, "We can't sustain cuts of four and a half percent every year." Uh, and through that decade, the decade, the first decade of this century, uh, the volume growth of services like imaging. Uh, MRIs and TCT scans, minor procedures and other things was skyrocketing. So for that reason, mostly, that's before we had our recession, um, uh, the sustainable growth rate should have produced major cuts in uh, what the fees that physicians received would be year after year. And each year, uh, Congress correctly, in my judgment and in the judgment of most people, said we can't sort of impose a five or seven percent cut on physician fees. There was beginning to be talk at that point of physicians dropping out of Medicare. So every year, Congress has had to uh, do what's called the doc fix, which is we're not going to cut the fees, but because of scoring rules, uh, budgetary scoring rules, they have to pay for every doc fix. So uh, savings have to be found from somewhere else so that these cuts don't go into effect. But every year that the cuts don't go into effect, it accumulates so that huge numbers show up as to how much it would cost to permanently do away with the sustainable growth rate. The peak was uh, two years ago when the estimate for 10 years spending would be $300 billion would be required to make the sustainable growth rate go away. And uh, so Congress doesn't have $300 billion. So each year, it kicks the can down the road, finds the 20 or $25 billion to put it off for one year. Uh, but that just adds to
0: the accumulated debt. So right now, the current score of that is reduced, has been reduced to $138 billion. Yeah, that's very interesting, because
1: it had been assumed that... Uh, well, what explains that reduction? Well, yeah. And I mean, it had been assumed that volume would continue at those rates. And the estimate for the SGR actually has more to do with the assumption of future spending for physician services than actually past spending of physician services. And uh, the Congressional Budget Office woke up uh, and realized that for about three or four years straight now, uh, the volume growth, which had been uh, in the high single digits, is now almost flat in the physician fee schedule. We don't really know why that is, but because fundamentally, because of that new uh, sort of assumption about how fast volume is growing, suddenly the cost of the sustainable growth rate or of making it go away has dramatically come down from $300 billion to $138 billion. Uh, the, the language on, in Congress is that the SGR is on sale right now, that this would be a good time to uh, buy it off. Um, but that, that shows how sensitive... Uh, these budget numbers are to, um, to assumptions about uh, volume growth. The other factor that uh, CBO changed was their assumption that there would be a major drop-off in enrollment uh, in Medicare Advantage plans, so there would be more people in traditional Medicare, which would be more money on the table, so greater cuts. Well, there hasn't been that reduction in Medicare Advantage. So for those two reasons, volume hasn't been high and fee-for-service or traditional Medicare has a smaller enrollment than had been projected, the uh, SGR is now on sale.
0: Okay. Let's move to the current um, proposed remedies to permanently fix so-called uh, the docs. So there have been several proposals over the past few years to amend the SGR or permanently fix the docs. Let's meet, let me ask you about two recent proposals. First, one in which you were very involved with, and that was the midpack proposal in 2011. And then, possibly because it has some bipartisan support, there is a reintroduced Representative Schwartz proposal in the House uh, this past winter, uh, introduced with, along with uh, Representative Joe Heck, the Republican from Nevada. Um, to fix the docs. But let's start with the MedPack proposal. How does that fix the docs?
1: Yeah, well, first, before dealing with the two specific proposals, I think it's fair to say that because of this SGR hanging over everybody's head, the ultimate increase in f- f- fees that physicians receive were probably less than they would have been had there not be, been this specter of major cuts that the sort of political crisis. To have to find savings and, and kick the can down the road another year uh, has probably moderated fee increases, uh, and that's probably a reasonable thing given the fact that volume does continue to increase and physician revenues from Medicare continues to increase. However, the consensus across the board and, per, and certainly in MedPAC was that the specter of What were going to be 27 or 28 percent fee reductions at the height of this two years ago uh, was just the specter of that was causing uh, great angst with the physician community. In some cases, uh, actually causing physicians to not see Medicare uh, patients. uh, The the perception by physicians that um, Congress. Uh, was broken. I think they came along with many other Americans who thought that Congress was broken, but the idea of being partners in improving health care was challenging with this thing hanging over their head. MedPAC took the position that um, eliminating the SGR and what it represented was so important that uh, physicians should sustain um, a, a significant reduction in fees. Uh, not to the extent that of the 27% that would have been mandated but significant in order in combination with other payment reductions and other parts of the the Medicare program would pay off that $300 billion. So MedPAC basically proposed a three-year 5.9% reduction in, in payments for services other than primary care services. Um, so significant cuts um, and then a sort of flat line for the next seven years of a 10-year window as uh, to produce um, sig- substantial savings, but also came up with a package of other potential payment cuts that would exceed in total the $300 billion. It also has consistently, at least over the last five or six years, been calling for reforms of how. The relative values that determine the fees are determined and had some specific recommendations for moving on with the, that agenda of trying to redistribute some of the reimbursements from from procedures and tests towards uh, evaluate what are called evaluation and management services for primary care and even non-primary care physicians.
0: And we'll get to those latter two points because that's part of your testimony we'll get to. If you could just briefly mention the Representative Schwartz proposal. Well, Representative Schwartz
1: um, uh, has a very interesting proposal. I agree with a lot of it, but basically it would uh, fully repeal the SGR. Uh, but then it, it, it sort of uh, puts a great deal of alliance as sort of a reliance as a quid pro quo uh, on physicians participating in quality measurement. Um, and efficiency measures so as the substitute for, for this sort of arbitrary formula that would have just reduced prices. Um, and so it, it basically here's a bullet from the, the, from the summary of the proposal. It empowers physicians to determine the quality and efficiency measures that are clinically meaningful for Medicare beneficiaries and basically asks for even more value-based purchasing that's what the term the Congress calls uh, measuring performance and, and publicly reporting and, and rewarding a particular uh, performance. It, it then, in my view correctly, moves towards encouraging uh, participation in accountable care organizations and, and, and really structurally different delivery system models. I have great concerns about the um, uh, reliance on performance measures for individual physicians at this point. Um, and especially sort of relying on, on specialty societies to determine their own performance measures. I think we are at the infancy of uh, knowing how to do that. Uh, and what we want to be doing is moving towards outcomes, not these process measures that are generally relied upon. Um, and we also want to be assessing at, uh, at the level of organizations, not individual physicians. I mean, let's, let's talk practically. Right now, um, the requirement is, not the requirement physicians had the option of uh, submitting data which would measure them on three or four uh, discrete areas of performance, uh, whether they order EKGs in, at the right time, whether they order immun uh, tests for a certain condition at the right time. Uh, this is a not the tip of the iceberg. It is it's above the tip of the iceberg in terms of what it measures in terms of a physician's performance, and I think, uh, to me, it's a quid pro quo that doesn't gain us very much. I would much rather, and we'll talk about my testimony more formally in a moment, but I would much rather move in the direction that MedPAC was moving in, which is let's fix the distortions in the fee schedule, and separately let us... uh, encourage physicians to participate in larger organizations, even form accountable care organizations as the opportunity down the road to get out of the fee-for-service payment system altogether
0: into something different. So partial capitation. So let's go to that. So on February 14th, you provided testimony to the House Energy and Commerce Committee and and your remarks were titled SGR Data Measures and Models, Building a Future. Medicare, well Trish I should say that system. was the
1: title of the uh, of the, of the committee meeting or oh, the committee I meeting. used I used their title I okay. should have changed it for my own purposes
0: so but to your testimony right. uh, let's let's have a dis- let's discuss it and one of the phrases you use um, in your testimony as a header was the fee for service uh, end it or mend it so relative to distortions in fee for service a good deal of your discussion or testimony concerned that so let's discuss that for a moment
1: yeah. I mean, there is uh, There's no question that fee-for-service, which basically pays uh, physicians for discrete services, doesn't reward them for being prudent with resources, doesn't reward them for providing high quality, does encourage lots of services. Uh, so we do want to move away from fee-for-service, but I would point, point out that many countries actually... Uh, use fee-for-service as the mechanism for paying physicians and don't have the problems that we we have. We have a much more entrepreneurial, uh, unregulated system that permits uh, much more abuse of fee-for-service, I would argue, than than is necessary. But uh, the idea that we're suddenly going to have these new payment models that actually some of which have been tested and found wanting years ago, um, we're now recycling with new terms. Uh, some of these payment models—they all have faced significant challenges—and um, and so I don't think we should assume that in five or seven years we're going to have a full replacement for the fee for the Medicare fee schedule. That's sort of practically. Uh, beyond that, um, I argue that uh, the building blocks for many of those new fee schedules, say a bundled episode, are the values of the. Individual services that are in the physician and the hospital fee schedule or payment systems, and if those fees are wrong, the bundle it's will wrong. be wrong. Uh, we we have a system now which, uh, if all in study that uh, the Urban Institute with the Medical Group Management Association did for Medpac, uh, demonstrated that if all payers were using the Medicare fee schedule. Um, Cardiologists and radiologists and gastroenterologists would be earning about two and a half times what family physicians and geriatricians and primary care internists were earning. And at least to many of us, that kind of differential seems too much. We're not saying that everybody gets paid the same, Mm -hmm. uh, but that that's too much. And how do you form a multi-specialty group practice where physicians across specialties are working collaboratively together when uh, some of them uh, will be more than happy to just stay in the fee-for-service system because uh, they're earning $500,000? Medicare, actually, under the Medicare fee schedule, some specialties would be earning probably around $450,000, which... um, Uh, It's hard to argue that Medicare is such a lousy payer uh, when that is the case. Um, So the point is, and and I've got other reasons also, is that I I argue that by mending the physician fee schedule, we actually can establish the environment uh, where we could move away from uh, fee-for-service for some parts of the country and for some specialties. I don't think we will ever be in a situation or at least in my lifetime, when we're not going to be using the fee schedule uh, for some physicians in some places. And, And it may well be that some specialties are best paid off of a fee schedule rather than through some of these new payment models.
0: Let me drill on a couple of issues here. One is evaluation and management. In your testimony, you argue that with an aging population... That requires more shared patient-clinician decision-making, teaching self-management, medication management, care coordination, et cetera. However, the EM reimbursement, you're arguing or suggesting, is undervalued or underutilized. Uh, so can you discuss that? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's a
1: challenge to uh, clearly, crisply, concisely define services that make up evaluation and management services that we all want to encourage. Uh, new forms of primary care now, spend, the physicians and the nurses and the whole part of the team, uh, and it is a team, spend much more time on the phone, on email, collaborating with other, other providers, community care service uh, institutions, rather than just seeing patients in face-to-face office visits. And yet, we don't have a good mechanism for paying for that activity. I mean, to sort of document every phone call a nurse or a doctor makes and then bill for it uh, would be counterproductive. So that, that's a challenge. To some extent, I think we can define certain activities, such as chronic care coordination, where the team is actually doing specific activities for complex chronic care patients, I think that is reimbursable as a new kind of a service under the Medicare fee schedule. Um, To some extent, if we reimbursed higher for the office visits, uh, at least some practices uh, would use that to cross-subsidize to support these other activities. Uh, But ultimately, I think it leads to The development of what Denmark and the Netherlands have put into effect now for many years is sort of a mixed payment model where about 60% of the revenues to primary care comes from fee-for-service office visit revenue, but the rest of it is a per-person per month payment. Here's a fixed amount uh, for a qualified practice to do a range of activities where there's not fee-for-service billing. We're a ways away from putting that kind of a system in, but ultimately I think that's where we need to go.
0: Okay. Let me ask uh, also, too, about... um, You did mention moving towards a a global payment, um, which would include or modify fee-for-service. So could you describe what that would mean?
1: Well, there's been a lot of talk around accountable care organizations. Um, And... uh, the current payment method that is that the Affordable Care Act created uh, is called shared savings, in which uh, the part the doctors in the hospital that are part of the Accountable Care organization, and at least theoretically, uh, home health agencies or other providers, would continue to be paid through their normal payment mechanisms but there would be an accounting done, and if total spending came in under a target, this term target shows up in a lot of places, if the total spending came in under the target, there would be shared savings. That is, the organization uh, would split the savings with Medicare and somehow distribute those savings to the constituent members of the group. Um, That is still, in my view, fee-for-service with uh, a little... Sort of uh, potential bonus at the end. I think most providers are going to say, "Let's see, I can collect 100% if I today, if I do the service, and or I can collect some very tiny percentage of some theoretical amount in two years if I don't provide the service." I think it's still fee for service um, and doesn't really change things. So we now have 30 years' experience from California and some other places. Uh, medical groups um, used to also be hospitals, but largely medical groups who take capitation. Uh, it's now called global payment. It's a little more palatable than the word capitation. Uh, but they get paid per person per month. Uh, it's a fixed amount. And they have to provide care within what essentially becomes a budget because you take the per, the per person or per member per month amount, multiply it by the number of people you're responsible for, and you've got a fixed amount of money to work with. Then you have responsibility to allocate the resources and the services um, theoretically to benefit the patient, not to fit into some, somebody else's definition of what is a reimbursable service. I think we want to be moving towards that kind of a system. Uh, one of the lessons from the 90s when a lot of organizations got out of capitation uh, was that there was too much risk. They were taking 100% risk. Um, So, I think there are ways to mitigate that. Uh, It can be done with risk corridors where the organization uh, is only at risk for maybe 20% or 30% of the total and Medicare is picking up the difference. It can be done uh, through what's called partial capitation where there is continued fee for service payment but it's of a much lower amount, maybe 50 or 60% of the total where the rest is coming in a per-member, per-month amount. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's other approaches as well. That's where we need to be moving. Um, I think some organizations are ready to do that. They have been doing it for commercially insured patients, and I think Medicare uh, needs to get into that. With the one unique challenge in Medicare, well, maybe not the one, but one unique challenge in Medicare being that so far, nobody has wanted to limit patients' freedom of choice Uh, to go to whatever provider they want whenever they want. So the question is whether uh, risk-bearing by an organization for spending for an individual is compatible with individuals not having any particular tie to seeking care inside that organization. Uh, We will learn something in some of the demonstrations that are now going on as to whether those two things can can marry. Uh, coincide, in, yes. Can coincide. In commercial insurance, patients who are in this kind of arrangement are typically in HMOs, which require selecting a gatekeeper physician and and having strong incentives to stay, seek, in. stay in, stay inside the system. Whether you can do this in a freedom of choice system is, is one of the questions.
0: Okay. Well, unfortunately, there are many other elements to your testimony that I'll post, but... Let's conclude with the the crystal ball question. So with the SGR being at a a fire sale price currently and based on sort of your sense of how your testimony was received in February, what's your sense concerning the current politics surrounding now uh, revising or fixing uh, the Medicare physician reimbursement?
1: Well, I would say there are very few issues in health policy where you can get bipartisan support these days. I think there's pretty much bipartisan support for doing away with the SGR, even though I said earlier that having had the SGR for the last 15 years has probably resulted in, in, in lower increases and in, in, in in, lower fee increases than otherwise it has been too disruptive and dysfunctional. I think most uh, members on the Hill agree with that and are looking for an opportunity. I think what they're looking for, though, is is first, well, if we don't have any mechanism to control volume, uh, don't we bear the, the possibility that uh, volume goes back up through the roof to make up for any price decreases? I actually don't think that's the way that physicians behave for most services, uh I think for, for many services, if the profitability is less, the physicians won't do more of the service, they'll do less of the service. But that sort of is one concern. The Congress needs to be comfortable that it has a mechanism uh, for dealing with volume growth that would raise total spending. And then, second of all, is sort of this re- desire for a quid pro quo, uh, you know, that the profession will agree. Uh, to uh, adopt certain activities or policies that have some prospect of raising value for the services provided um... and uh... so far i don't see really a consensus as to what that would be if anything i'm concerned that the consensus would be to just rely on a handful of measures uh... that don't really uh... uh... provide an adequate snapshot of any physicians uh, uh... quality or, mm-hmm. or efficiency and say, ah, we, we've taken care of it. I think that would be uh, sort of a, wa- a, lost, a wasted opportunity to actually uh, make the deal with the uh, physician community which in my mind would be, let's get serious about correcting the distortions in the fee schedule uh, because some services are paid entirely too much based on the amount of time and effort it takes, whereas other services aren't, and have that be the um, quid pro quo,
0: but um, I'm swimming upstream. But on balance, you, you're suggesting that this is an opportune time for ultimately to get this result.
1: I think this is it. I mean, $138 billion, one can contemplate coming up with the series of savers uh in other parts of the program colleagues uh with me at the Urban Institute have recently published a paper where we came up with
0: 730 billion
1: 730 billion of which about 400 billion was simply in more prudent spending uh for to providers uh looking at areas where there were uh, very high uh, operating margins on Medicare uh where um, uh, there I think are, there are opportunities for savings and I think we barely—well, we more than scratched the surface—but this was illustrative of, I think, uh, overspending in in various areas. Um, so I think we can do that. I don't think physici- I think physicians should bear part of the uh, savings. So in our in that proposal we had, we asked for physicians other than primary care physicians to experience a six percent reduction in their fees and then um, sort of keeping it flat for the rest of, the, of that decade. That's certainly different from 27% or the MedPAC um, 17%. Um, I think that is the sort of the kind of level of fee reductions that are justified when you see uh, the kinds of returns that specialists uh, are able to achieve even in the Medicare fee schedule. So I'm hopeful that there is a consensus this year
0: um, and that we, we finally put the SGR behind us. Okay, with that, Bob, and first, we're at our time boundary, so I'll say thank you again. Thank you.